No one will be admitted after the guests check in. Like, if somebody fucks up, they have to cut off part of their pancake. Yeah. I'm super about this. This is yeah, all I right. want. I don't care about money or security. I want people to, to cut off their pancakes for me. Also, I want to be able to slap somebody, and they just go, thank you, sir, yes, sir, and then they slap the person that's lower than them. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Yakuza. Yeah. It's called Yakuza Law. Yakuza Ballin'. Are we ready to start? Yeah. Welcome to Motel Hell. My name is Ben the Beardo. I'm Dick the Fetty. Okay, Jesus Christ. We've been doing 40-some-odd episodes, and every time someone introduces you instead of introducing yourself, you're like, shut the fuck up, I can do it myself. Yeah, that's what right, dog. Did you forget who you were? No, I was just taking off my headphones oh. for sound purposes. Nobody will hear me doing it. But I did. Yeah, but now you kind of have to leave in that long pause because we talked about it so much. Nope. Oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> what are we talking about tonight, Dick Fetty? Okay, first of all, my name is Dick Fetty. Dr. Dick's a lot, Dr. Fett. Dr. Fett Life, Dr. Fetty Spaghetti. <laughs> I think God was thrown in there too. Yeah, there was a bunch. So you listen to those old episodes, we each have like 10 nicknames. The introductions take literally five minutes. Oh, peace. Yeah, I forgot about Captain Stabbing. That's yeah. a good one. AKA the professor. Yeah. So we are broadcasting live here from the Mary Graydon Center, and I want to say that it is not as hot as it was, so that's a big bonus. But yeah. we will be sweating soon. So, that's true. And you're already not wearing any pants. That's right. And I got a little bit of pee on my boxers. It's true. <laughs> so uh, tonight we are doing... A rough guide to Yakuza films, basically. Uh, we've talked a lot about how we're going to do this episode, and so basically, as by way of introduction, Yakuza films, Yakuza's Japanese Mafia, uh, there's a big film genre of them, mostly they come out of Japan, unsurprisingly, and if you listen to this show, you've probably seen a Yakuza film. So, if you haven't, then you're going to learn some stuff, but... You're going to learn enough to bring it up conversation, but not actually learn anything. Yeah, no, you're going to learn stuff. You can be that guy. But basically what we want to do is keep it to our experience and uh, our perceptions of the genre through the films we've watched rather than present a historical account of the history of the Yakuza film it's cultural origins, yada, yada, yada. We're going to get in oranges. Yeah, origins. Says, yeah, origins. Everybody knows that one. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're going to get into a little bit of that stuff just as a base level. But we're, our focus is going to be we're each going to dissect two films and then we're going to do our movie review of the night instead of first, last, as a wrap-up for the whole thing. And basically try to give you an idea of what the Yakuza film genre looks like from the 60s all the way to the present day through films that we've watched multiple times and love. Yes, I agree. So, <laughs> so yeah. Okay, so I'm going to try to quickly get through the background primer stuff. Again, we don't want to focus on 
the full history of the genre, we're just going to kind of run through the highlights real quick and give you a little bit of a framework to work with. So Yakuza, the word itself, which is refers to basically Japanese organized crime organizations, uh, comes from the card game Oicho Kabu, a game in which the goal is to draw three cards, adding up a score, adding up to a score of nine. And uh, Yakuza comes from the hand 893, which is pronounced Yakusa in Japanese. The sum is 20, and therefore the score is zero, making it the worst possible hand that can be drawn. Yeah. And this name is attached to these people because they're traditionally gamblers and no-gooders and uh, roustabouts and, and the like. And so... Well, without getting too much into it, the, the whole Yakuza thing kind of started because they were running brothels and gambling dens and they needed a way to protect those things so they all kind of banded together and created groups yeah so like in any society there's always been an element of criminality in japanese culture and the eventual uh codification of that criminality became the yakuza and they take their name from gambling and many many yakuza films feature gambling yes as a result and so Part of the reason we don't want to go too crazy in depth into like what the real Yakuza are like is we intend to do a full dive into that subject in the relatively near future. It's something I've read a lot about on like an actual academic and you know quote unquote scholarly level and have a pretty decent understanding of and we've seen we've indulged in all forms of pop culture that relate to Yakuza. Yes. So we're basically Video games, movies, anime, manga. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you're into Japanese stuff, then you know who the, yeah, the Yakuza they come are. Up. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, they are like the catch-all boogeyman uh, to any kind of, like, media, whether it's video games or anime or films or whatever like they show up in all sorts of stuff that isn't quote-unquote like yakuza films or yakuza games or whatever because they're just like the uh easy to refer to heavies that even people outside of japan know that they're like bad dudes kind of a thing much in the way that the italian mafia or gangs are here but um there are significant differences into the way they're structured i feel and like they're more present in japan too yeah well it's interesting so like basically the yakuza had their highest numbers in the 60s and 70s and then a series of national and international scandals sort of uh, started to quickly deplete their numbers. And they were also like times of major political unrest in Japan and all sorts of stuff that like, again, we're not going to get into. But today they're not as prominent as they used to be. But as far as public perception goes and outsider perception goes, every well, I think a lot of people are aware of them and assume that they're everywhere, especially if you're in Kabukicho and the like. Which is true in the sense of there's a great concentration of them in red light districts across Japan because, like, that's their bread and butter. So, mm. um, so yeah, so, like, the, the sort of things to know about the Yakuza that make them interesting and different is they literally have, like, crime offices, the modern Yakuza. <laughs> so, like, they'll have, like, business cards. They have special emblems and pins and all sorts of things to sort of show, like, which main family they're from and then which subfamily that they're in. They famously have these crazy tattoos that used to be done exclusively with extremely sharpened bamboo 
like sticks. They're like poke and stick tattoos and they're incredibly beautiful and require a ton of time and pain. Now, most modern Yakuza don't do it that way, but some still do. And the whole like Japanese tattoo style is all basically based off of Yakuza tattoos and is also why a huge stigma existed in Japan for ages about tattoos. So even if you came as a foreigner and you had a lot of tattoos as of like the 80s and 90s, it could be a problem in public places. But, um, yeah, so they have these, like, crime offices, they do crime, they exist openly in society, and basically, because of the long-standing history of the Yakuza in Japanese society, and the sort of systemic corruption and cultural values that have allowed them to continue to exist, they, they exist in a way that the Mafia can't, and while, like, some Mafia movies can make, like, the Golden Age of the Mafia seem like a big deal... Um, you know, that's pretty much over for the most part, whereas the Yakuza, like, still help broker international trade deals at times and stuff like that. Like, they're still really a big deal, yeah. and they make a shitload of money. They're so, good at business. Crime business. Yeah, well, crime business mixed with regular business, and corruption in most Asian countries is the norm, and uh, especially corruption as it relates to government, business, and crime and people getting paid off is like pretty normal in China, Korea, Japan, Vietnam, all those places. Like it's just built in as part of the system. So what we would think of as being like so shocking and insane, we have to do it much more hidden in the US. I mean, at the same time, our politicians are obviously bought and sold by lobbies and mega corporations and all that. But it's in Japan, it's like some tattooed guy who's missing a pinky finger is gonna help you like broker your deal with Boeing. Uh, if he's missing a pinky finger he's okay. probably not helping he's probably lower down at this well point. he could be up at the top because he's lost a finger or two on the way so um some famous yakuza tropes before because we're just we're trying <laughs> we're gonna, to we're gonna ramble about just yakuza and not get to the movie so we'll just go yeah to the yeah movie. well we're yeah right so like there's the uh, basically the whole thing with the yakuza is like they're they're outsiders in a culture that's largely homogenous i mean the japanese people have worked hard to crush all subcultures within Japan. So whether it's like the native people of Hokkaido or it's the native people of Okinawa, those languages, those cultures within Japanese culture have been like purposely crushed over hundreds of years. And the Yakuza are interesting and different in the sense of they, they I mean, they've existed since like more ancient times. Um, but especially in their modern form, they, they show off a sense of flair and outsiderness that is extremely unusual in a culture that's all about fitting in and saving face. And they have their own structures that are similar to modern society, but like they're, they exist separate or at least like a, alongside of modern society. And there's this whole like, uh, you know, the godfathers are like the grandfather of the whole families or the fathers. And then there's the lieutenants. Chairman. Yeah, right. There's lieutenants. And then there's all the of these rituals and ceremonies about brotherhood and like, you know, sharing sake and sacred oaths and blood oaths and all sorts of stuff. And it's all super serious. And as a result, as the Yakuza genre really took off in the 60s, uh, it basically took on all of these traditional Japanese values that were in the Japanese period pieces that Kurosawa and so many other directors were famous for and started to, you know, f change the focus from, like, classic humanist dramas and values and, like, good guys and bad guys to, like, 
bad guys who were still kind of good and and focusing on those types of stories as political turmoil and economic boom in Japan was happening and the um, more traditional period pieces fell out of flavor. Right. And so you get Yakuza movies going pretty far back in the Japanese film industry, but it was really like the 50s and then more so in the 60s they started to take off. And again, without going into the history of the Japanese film industry, there have been thousands of Yakuza movies made. Like, once the genre hit big, they were, like, studios could crank out ten of these, like, a month, you know? No or or between all the studios, they were cranking out, like, at least ten a month. All they need is a bunch of ridiculous-looking suits and a bunch of squibs. That's yeah. it. Yeah, so... Or, and, and honestly, in the older films, there's normally not so much blood. Or they save yeah. it all for, like, a specific scene, you know? There'll be, like, a lot of... Mur it's it's same thing in Sword of Doom, where... There's all this killing, and then there's only a couple scenes where it's actually bloody, you know, especially in the last, the finale yeah. part of it. So, the the genre as it started and the, its original focus, the sort of like shifting and altering traditional Japanese narratives into a more like rough and tumble, youth oriented film. Um, is not really the Yakuza movies that have stood the test of time. And what we're going to review tonight, and what most people are going to see today, whether it's through Blu-ray re-releases, or back when like the mall still had like bootleg DVDs from like little stalls in between the stores God, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of what you're going to catch are the more hyper-violent 90s and forward films that are hugely different than the original types of right. films and since most of them are lost to time and sitting in vaults and of not particular artistic merit or anything um they're like genre films in the truest sense like and they're all in japanese naturally we will never what? yeah we will never see them we'll like you know even if we wanted to and they're really not that important because it's kind of to me this what makes this genre so interesting is not the films that follow genre norms, but it's all the films that subvert those norms to make different statements or to create interesting characters that wouldn't be able to exist in worlds outside of the Yakuza film worlds that we, like, you know, are able to suspend certain types of disbelief and allow right. these, like, more uh, ultra-blood-soaked sagas to exist in and things like that. But what's also interesting is that for all their hyperviolence, like that is real. It's like one of the only areas of Japanese society where these like types of things can take place. And what's even more crazy is that like the Yakuza still exists in this very real way. So when you watch something like Ichi the Killer and all of its extreme hyperviolence, it's like the Yakuza does still exist and they do wear like weird crazy suits. And yep. there's nobody who looks like Kakihara for the most part, but Aside from face scars and lips that, like, you know, split open and shit, um, there is a fair amount of, like, these kinds of characters exist in, in you know... You can go to Japan and see them. Yeah, and, and, and Japanese people are crazy about this stuff. Like, they love it. It's, it's mostly a youth-oriented, male-oriented form of entertainment, but it has gone into artsier levels, and it's gone into... Uh, even less intelligent areas, but... It sure has. Okay, so, with that being said, I want to cover just a couple quick things, and then we're just going to jump right into our movie discussions. So, the, like I mentioned, original Yakuza films, 
they're hard to even see, let alone... We're, we're just not really concerned with the sort of basic trappings. Uh, there was an arrow called Ninko Eiga, which was the chivalry films, which were Yakuza films primarily that... Some of them were set in, like, Meiji era or the Shogunate era. Um, some of them were set in the modern times, but they were basically this chivalrous action, sh chivalrous bloodshed type of thing. I think a lot of John Woo's triad films, yeah. specifically all the Chai Yun Fat ones, A Better Tomorrow, The Killer, uh, culminating in Hard Boiled, like these heroic bloodshed or bullet opera style films where um, basically people are stuck in, in these impossible situations and their loyalty to their, uh, you know, Yakuza boss versus like the prostitute they're in love with get tested and and they have to betray a brother or kill a father figure or whatever and like people are going to get murdered and the main guy is going to be stoic as hell about it but at the same time conflicted in in his soul and um you know they but they cast the yakuza still in this like they're rough people in a rough world trying to do the right thing you know mm -hmm. what i mean like they're still like robin hoodish types and the real Yakuza are not so much like that. Like No, but at the same time, they can portray themselves as that. There are They do community outreach and stuff. Yeah, there's there's a mix. And, I mean, they, they definitely... They have a festival. Yeah, they have, like, image management for sure. But there is famously, and I meant to grab this information, but there was a, a director who, I believe it was in the late 80s, made a film where it was about the Yakuza were trying to get protection money from this hotel... And this female manager was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not taking their shit. And basically, like, the whole movie just sort of says, like, fuck you to the Yakuza. And then wins the day at the end of it. And they back down all to this, like, middle management woman. And it was critically well-received and uh, all that kind of thing. And the, the Yakuza were really happy with it because they love backing down to women, right? Right. So, no, actually, they were quite upset, and they wound up physically, forcibly removing a pound of flesh from the director, who then, as a result of the ordeal, committed suicide. Literally? Yes. Whoa. Yeah. So, you know, the Yakuza have had a long-standing positive relationship with the film industry, and when things like that happened, especially as the bubble was coming to a burst um, in Japan and everybody was upset, it was not a good deal. Uh, you know, I think things have changed a lot now as far as Yakuza power and influence in the real world and over film directors. But even some of the original Yakuza film directors were said to have, like, ties to the Yakuza if they weren't Yakuza themselves. So it's it's a whole thing. Um, so, yeah, so that chivalrous Yakuza films, those are also, like, long out of style. Those were in the 60s and early 70s, basically done by the 60s, though. And... That ended, and then the next big style was Jutsu Roku Ega, which is uh, essentially actual record films or documentary films, and Fukasaka was the guy who uh, made this hugely popular. Fukasaka is probably most known to Western audiences from his directing of Battle Royale. Hell fucking yes. Yeah, So, and he was also directing Battle Royale too when he died, but... He was a big-time 70s Yakuza film director. He directed, like, an insane amount of films. It was just churning, like, ten out a year. So he did this whole series called the Yakuza Papers, a.k.a. Battles Without Honor and Humanity, and they were all based on real 
Yakuza turf wars that happened in Okinawa based on a memoir of mm-hmm. like a guy who was part of that. I've never seen them, um, admittedly, but they are famous for their just sort of unsympathetic portrayal of a bunch of bad dudes doing a bunch of bad stuff to people and innocent people getting caught in the crossfire. Sounds pretty good. Post-70s, the whole genre took a huge like decline, interest waned, and the movie studio system started to change hugely, especially at the advent of home video. And Yakuza films were much like Giallo in the sense of you would go see them on like double bills like you talk through them or like whatever they just weren't like that big of a deal and they were cheap like matinee type stuff designed to bring in the young people and once the video mark video rental market exploded people were like why would i go spend a couple dollars to see some mediocre film when i can like rent a movie i want to see right and it killed the japanese film industry essentially and the film genre came back because of V cinema, which is like direct to video cinema, which was way bigger in Japan and treated with more respect to a point than it ever was in the United States or yeah, elsewhere in the world. Not treated with very much respect yeah. here. Like imagine the films that only show up on Redbox, they're like exclusive to Redbox. You can rent you know, like it's it's worse than Sharknado type of shit. Like in Japan directors turned that into this fertile playground of the imagination where they just did insane things and people like Takashi Miike you know basically took full advantage of the creative freedom that V Cinema allowed and the only real main stalwart of the Yakuza genre was Takeshi Kitano who didn't go the V Cinema route and instead went like the Sundance and uh, all those film fan festival type of things Canes and whatever um, and he re- theatrically released these existential Yakuza films largely, and then eventually that kind of changed as far as his style, but, like, he also was famous for bringing them back into, like, a positive public light in the 90s and into the 2000s. Way into the 2000s. Yeah. So I think that <sighs> covers the history. The last thing I want to say, I know, it's, I, like I said, we just kept laughing because I'm like, I can, this could be a five hour episode, people. I am fine with this. I know. And I, I'm trying to keep it down because a lot of these, basically every director I'm about to talk about should get their own episode and I could Very gush. may will. Yeah, probably some of them will. I know that one of the first ones we're going to mention will, but I just need to touch on this so that beyond the movies we're going to recommend... I can recommend these heavy hitter directors. This is by no means a complete picture of the genre or all the best directors or anything like that, but these are just some films that are either critically important or developmentally important to the genre, and most of which I've seen and love. So I will post this list to the Instagram so that if you want to check out these films, you can. A lot of this stuff, we're in living in a golden age of well, now Blu-ray re-releases for a lot of these things, and a lot of them have DVD releases at the very least that are pretty reasonably priced. This isn't like those obscure 90s animes, like you don't have to spend $70 for a shitty 60-minute movie. So. like weird, obscure Italian horror movies. Yeah. So, okay, first director is Seijun Suzuki. He's famous for working for Nikatsu and then getting blacklisted because he made increasingly insane films, and... He's, of course, now one of the most well-known directors of the genre when at the time everybody was like, you're a horrible bad man for making these things that are like in any way interesting and challenging. He did uh, Youth of the Beast, which is more traditional, 
Tokyo Drifter, which is like a joke between Ben and I, because I asked him if he had seen it like 400 times because we watched together and I kept forgetting. And even though on multiple occasions I would sing the headline song <laughs> from Tokyo Drifter, Tokyo Drifter! Yeah. So it's pretty great. It's it's a really fun romp and it's extremely colorful. But my favorite uh, of his films is Branded to Kill from 1967, which features Joe Shishido. And it's just so he both of those. I think all three of those movies are on Criterion. Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill certainly are that which has opened them up to a much wider audience. Um, and you can get excellent Blu-ray or DVD copies of those. Huge recommendations. Uh, Kinji Fukasaku, who, like I said, directed Battle Royale, but long before he got famous for making kids kill one another, he did uh, such famous films as The Yakuza Papers, a.k.a. Battles Without Honor and Humanity from 1973 to 74. That's five films in the original series, and then I think there's an additional five or six that they did subsequently, most of which had the same actor. I can't stop thinking about Battle Royale now. now. Please go on. Yeah, so then there's Street Mobster. Well, I mean, like I said, this guy directed like a hundred Yakuza films. But it also had B. Takeshi in it. Yeah, I'm picking like eight. Um, So those five, the original Yakuza papers, Street Mobster, which I have sitting on my shelf for a minute now. We need to watch it. And then Graveyard of Honor, which I was going to cover tonight, but I haven't seen it since I was drinking. So like my recollections (laughs) are hazy. And I wasn't going to get a chance to watch it sooner. That was later remade by Takashi Miike and is one of, a lot of people consider it one of his best films. I've not seen the remake. And I've heard from some people that it's also like trash compared to the original. The man's got 109 movies. We can't see them all. Yeah. Graveyard of Honor is is like surprisingly Miike-esque though in the sense of like it is like ruthless, sadistic violence, but in a 70s style and no redemption in sight. The guy's just bad from start to finish, and it's like it's it's a real tasty one. Uh, Teru Ishii, who we've probably mentioned here before, and is this incredibly he's the godfather of the Gonzo of the uh, Eroguro in Japan film. Yes, he is. And he is responsible for one of the most important earlier uh, Yakuza films, Abashiri Prison, which went on to be like a ten film series. I haven't seen that one. He did Yakuza's Law, which is way more Aero-Guro than Yakuza in some ways. Although it also has, it's like the chivalry Yakuza film meets Aero-Guro meets just Taro Ishii. And it was enjoyable, but it was, compared to some of the other films he's doing at the same time, not as good in my opinion. Yeah, no, I wholly agree with that. But on the other side, there's Blind Woman's Coat. Curse, which has Miko Kaji and is amazing and is like she's a female Yakuza boss and like you olden times and it's, it's so good. It's like there's sword Their fighting. Their back tattoos Yakuza's. all create one dragon. Yeah, it's sick. It's sick. So that's a good one. And then Female Yakuza's Tale, which is like called like Torture and Inquisition or something is the subtitle. I haven't seen that one. I couldn't get a lot of info so I'm, I feel like that's probably way more Aroguro than it is Yakuza but it's still got those trappings, Taro Ishii rules. We're definitely doing an episode on him as soon as possible. Takeshi Kitano, already mentioned, but we're going to hit... I mean, my understanding is that all of his Yakuza films are incredible. All of his non-Yakuza films are less great. Uh, highlights include his debut, Violent Cop from 89. We already reviewed that on the show last October. Uh, Sonatine from 1993. 
Hanabi from 1997, Outrage from 2010, Beyond Outrage from 2012, and Outrage Coda. And I will watch anything that has violence plus B. Takeshi in it. Like, yeah. I don't care what it is, I will watch it. Yeah, Outrage Dakota, Dakota, Coda, 2017. <laughs> What's your <laughs> name? Dakota? Outrage Dakota. Outrageous Dakota. Uh, and then Takashi Miike, who. I feel like a lot of our listeners probably know. He's, We've mentioned several times. Yeah, he's one of the most famous Gonzo modern... Uh, I mean, he is the most famous Gonzo director of modern Japanese cinema. And he has his early films like Rainy Dog, Shinjuku Triad Society, and then Fudo, The New Generation from 96, Fullmetal Yakuza from 97, Dead or Alive 1, 2, and 3 from 99, 2000 and 2002 respectively, Ichi the Killer from 2000 and one graveyard of honor from 2002 and then basically like somewhere between one to five yakuza films from like really like 1994 to 2010 last yeah 20 years so but those are some of the best ones i mean but a lot of his films take place in the world of the yakuza or at least involve some kind of yakuza and it it was interesting because we briefly talked about whether ichi the killer was a yakuza film and I was thinking today, I was like, are we high? It's obviously yeah, Yakuza. It's, definitely a- it's, it's literally about, every character in it is either Yakuza or a prostitute, so. But what about, um, I just lost the name of the movie. We just watched it. Just, oh, Gozu. Gozu. What about Gozu? Because I know. So I definitely think that Gozu is. It is, I mean, every character in it is essentially the Yakuza or Dream Nightmare. <laughs> but I would say it's more of like a David Lynch, you know, Yeah, it sort is of, very Lynchian. It's, well, it's just like it's a fever dream film and it just happens to involve the Yakuza. But it's not a Yakuza film by any of the important codifiers either that like people historically use to just like to consider a movie a Yakuza film or we're going to talk about tonight, but I almost picked that one because it still does use a lot of Yakuza stuff. The whole like, f- uh, family, like bonds, Sword all those, brothers. yeah, exactly. All that shit is extremely important in some ways and does provide the backbone framework for the film to exist. So is it a Yakuza film in the way that, uh, outrages a Yakuza film? No, absolutely absolutely not. not. No, there's but no way. Is it a Yakuza film in the sense that the main character and most of the tertiary characters are Yakuza guys or doing Yakuza related stuff? Or were Yakuza? Yeah. Yes. And it rules so hard. But that, like, Takashi Miike will get his own most likely two part episode because the man has an interesting and prolific career. And we love him. Yeah. So I think that just about covers. Well, it gives enough of a primer of the genre. Obviously, we're missing tons of stuff. Like I said, this is incomprehensive. We're just we're just trying to give you an idea of all the flavors of the wind, uh, as that song goes with Pocahontas. So, flavors of the wind. Yeah. I don't think that's right. Well, prove me wrong. So, anyways, the, our criteria for review tonight. Well, review is strong, but what we're going to look at and try to discuss with each film is. These four sort of dichotomies, dualities, whatever whatever you want to call it. Heroic bloodshed versus nihilistic bloodshed. Loyalty versus betrayal. Brotherhood family 
versus being a loner slash outsider. Uh, and then corruption, personal, and like on a grander social level and how the films portray that. Okay. I'm going to go first. We're going to start in the 60s. Yep. And then we're going to jump ahead about 30 years. <laughs> my my first pick is Pale Flower, which was... I just wanted to basically do an episode where I could talk about this film, I think, because a big part of it. And it came to me through the Criterion Collection. It's from 1964, directed by Masahiro Shinoda. It is a Yakuza film, ostensibly. It's a film noir. It's black and white. It's not really any of those things, or it, it's it's a Yakuza film in like a more meaningful way. I was gonna say it's not black and white. <laughs> okay, <sure. laughs> but it, it's like to me. So the main character gets out of prison, as a lot of Yakuza films start. He was in there for doing a hit, and he comes out, and the gang welcomes him back. They give him money. They you know put him on some new jobs, whatever. He's not like that big of a deal, but um, <clears throat> in his family, but he's a big enough deal to get some some cash. He comes back to a woman who's like crazy about him, and he's not crazy about her, and he just really mostly wants to gamble, and he loves gambling. And most of the movie is just people gambling, which is awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. So the soundtrack is like this bizarre mix of it's like. I don't know that it's avant jazz because I don't know what regular jazz sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I don't know enough about jazz to comment on Yeah, that. but it's not like, it ain't Kenny G. And <laughs> it's all this like saxophones and drums falling down the stairs kind of a thing. It's it's sort of like Cowboy Bebop, but even more jagged sounding. And it accompanies this inky black, like moody as fuck picture. And basically he gets quickly wrapped up with this super hot ostensibly rich unknown girl who shows up and gambles and just gambles without a care in the world loses a bunch of money wins a bunch of money ain't no thing and they develop this romance without sex essentially because if memory serves me okay and quick pause we're gonna spoil these films to a point so if you want to watch them don't listen, I guess, but we're going to try to talk about the de the ending details in a more general way. And right. most of these films, like the ending is not what's important. It's all the stuff that happens before it. So there's not like really any big twists. I think we're going to spoil, but we are going to talk details and hearing about pale flower is not going to detract from watching it. This is like top five favorite movies for me. And Every time I watch it, it inches closer to being like potentially my favorite movie. So it's currently your favorite movie, Blade Runner. But huh. that's, I mean, every time I watch Blade Runner, I'm like, this is the greatest movie ever made. At least I'm just an idiot for my taste. But um, anyway, they get they get mixed up together, and it's just like it's toxic, but in such a I don't know, like perfect romantic like horrible nightmare way it it strikes a huge chord with me uh, as far as relationships go and it's basically just like this rapid downward spiral of this guy as it relates to his romantic life his gambling life his like life just generally it's just like it's all just he's bad at life 
It's not even that. Like, it's just, there's no... It, basically, his whole thing is, like, once you've killed a person, nothing else really kind of matters, and nothing else compares to that rush. Gambling is a close second, and he doesn't really, like, give a shit about anything, and he's kind of, like, madly obsessed with this girl simultaneous, and she takes the same approach towards life, and so they get along famously, but also they don't, and... You know, it, it just like it. It's he's obviously doomed from the start, but he doesn't even care. It's it's extremely relatable. Like as a you know alcoholic in recovery and person who's just been in some like hellish, uh, what do they call that? Co Relati codependent relationships. relationships. Yeah. Oh, I thought they were just called relationships. Yeah. Right. And uh, I don't know, man. It is just like it's such a Criterion kind of movie. Like as far yeah, that's as very true. Yakuza films go, uh, it's it lacks a lot of the, any kind of the fun or extremity or like, you know, whatever, like that shit's mostly all gone. And instead it's, and the, and the director who did it is not like a Yakuza film director. He's, he's like a regular or even art film kind of director. So this was a unusual foray into a genre piece that was basically forced upon him. I think by the studio system is my understanding of the situation, but he made a masterpiece out of it. And the best part is the gambling in the movie is not discernible as an American. Like, I do not know how they play that game. And so, like, I've watched the movie many times. I know from the context of the scenes when they win and lose. But, like, the first time you watch it, like, is that a good hand? <laughs> is, he, is he doing well? Yeah, it's like these matching pairs, and I don't I don't understand. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on Pale Flower? I... I think this is one of the earlier Yakuza movies we ever watched together. I definitely think it was one of the first strict Yakuza movies we ever watched together, because prior to that, you know, we'd watch things that kind of tiptoe around Yakuza or involve Yakuza, but wasn't strictly about Yakuza members. Oh, uh, well, we had watched Ichi, but... Like I mean, I said, even though that is, it, it is... That movie's more about Ichi extreme and violence. extreme violence yeah. and insanity, but... This was something that a lot of the movies I do like that come out of this genre tend to be a little bit more silly, but the ones that stick with me tend to be more serious. Sure. Which is like this and Outrage. Tokyo Drifter to a degree, because Tokyo Drifter is still kind of... Goofy. Goofy. Yeah, for But sure. I think they try to go a little bit more art house with that. Yeah. Yeah. So... I love it. Yeah. No, and I'm, even when we watched it, you had left it at my house for like a week, and Mariah made me rewatch it because she had to go to bed. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, it's um, I would have rewatched it for this episode, but my buddy's got it right now. Weston has it, so I guess to talk in the framework I laid out, but then completely ignore it in my discussion to kind of run through it. So the heroic bloodshed versus like what I consider nihilistic bloodshed, more to say like bloodshed that serves no greater like there's no purpose and it's not even necessarily portrayed heroically it's just like matter of fact violence or just like violence because these people are bad and violent that's this movie like the people that get killed in it for the most part like there's no reason that they should be killed and it's not like a movie that's based on this guy did this to that gang so this gang has to retaliate it's just like 
this guy killed a guy before because his boss told him to and he's gonna have to do it again and it doesn't mean anything to him and it's it's like the last thrill the guy has left in his life and loyalty versus betrayal this movie doesn't really deal with that so much like there there is some inner family loyalty but like part of it is the the guy he kills that winds him up in prison from the get is part of you know another family and when he gets out of prison those two families are now merging the one he works for and the other one and so it's like pointless in the sense of oh they killed this guy but now everything's like so good they're getting together you know and he's uh-huh. like what the fuck um betrayal comes more into the relationship part of it but part of what makes it so good is there there was never like a a defined relationship other than through like unspoken shit between the main female and the main character so they uh i don't know like it's it's a little bit more nuanced i'd say and the brotherhood family loner outsider shit like it's it speaks to it more in the sense of like the people that are sitting in gambling dens all night and like losing their fortunes and all the rest are definitely outsiders in some sense although not to be racist but like Asians love to gamble so yeah again like this criteria almost doesn't matter there is, there is some brotherhood and like family relationships within the gang stuff that comes up there's a guy that follows the main character around and you know is looking for acceptance and whatever and early in the movie he tries to kill the main character because he killed his friend but then they become buddies and go down the path of no return together that's not like a gay metaphor that just never mind anyways um could be yeah could be and then corruption i think is the one that really shines through here where it's not so much the world of the yakuza that's so corrupt although it is but it's more of like the personal corruption through violence and uh the fact that like as somebody who's committed a violent act aka murdering somebody you can't really be part of the regular world and it I don't know that it really eats up the character in the sense of he feels guilty. It just, like, changes his ability to live his life in any kind of, like, normal way. Any kind of meaningful way. Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's meaning in... Well, I know. I take that back. I don't think there's meaning in hedonism and violence, but that's okay. I think the lack of meaning is doesn't disturb the the enjoyment from those activities you know it's kind of because of that that it's such a powerful lore but i don't know sure my turn yeah so that's my take on pale flower i think if you want to grab a criterion film that's on the more art house existential side this is the one if you want to grab one that's more that's still trippy, but like a little bit more of an action movie, Branded to Kill or Tokyo Drifter would be good criterion pulls. Yeah, no, Pale Flower is a beautiful, beautiful movie. So, big surprise, we got a movie from Takashi Miike named Fudo, The big New Generation. Big surprise. Big surprise. So, this movie is, it doesn't really center around actual quote-unquote made men as we call them in you know italian mafia but it's more so about the son of a yakuza boss Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. budo Mm -hmm. who essentially decides to have this huge revenge path because his dad killed his brother 
because his brother went against another crime family? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. forget. Yeah, I don't know. That part was kind of hazy. It was real late when we watched it recently, yeah. but... We didn't, so, we didn't know what a wild ride we were in for. That's very true. So he gathers up a bunch of high school kids and younger children, one of which is a high school girl who's also a stripper, so I don't know what the laws were for stripping. Pretty good. Unless she was 18. Eh, it doesn't matter. I guess she's supposed to be 18 because you do see her naked. I, I feel like if it's a Yakuza Recon... If I, excuse me. If it's a Yakuza-run club, they're not going to be super worried about how old the talent is. That's a fair point. Anyway, she can shoot darts from her vagina that kill people. Yes. Which is awesome. There are little kids with guns. There are also little kids with guns. So the whole movie is about this war between him and his father's family. Definitely betrayal there. Uh, but with any Yakuza movie, whoever the underdog is or whoever is being attacked by other Yakuza or something mm-hmm. of that ilk tend to be extremely loyal to who they have. Yeah. They're, they're underlings and everything, and Fudo in this movie is 110% that. His father, on the other hand, is not. He does not give a shit. He just likes being a bad boy and making money. The movie, I would say, has both... I mean, it can be argued whether it's heroic or nihilistic bloodshed, because does he really need to kill all these Yakuza members? Can he just kill his dad? But... But if you've chosen the path of the Yakuza, then you've chosen a path of violence, and so you get what's coming. That's true. But also, at the same time, I mean, that's bullshit. We didn't even really get into the whole, like, Yakuza code, blah, blah, blah. We did a little bit as far as these movies go. But, you know, in those chivalrous films, they portray the Yakuza as having this strong moral code, despite the fact that they're career criminals. And uh, then you get movies like this where maybe not so much. So Was it Orgies of Edo? No. Which one was it that we watched that it was like, it was Yakuza Yakuza Law. Law, yeah. It's like, you don't... You don't sleep with another man's woman, and you don't steal from your your friends or your Yakuza yeah. brothers, which I think is hilarious because I'm sure that happens quite a bit. People get murdered for it. But like I said, this is a Takashi Miike film, and he does something that I feel like a lot of Western directors aren't able to do in such a way. He does make a lot of movies after manga. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, I mean... Welcome to the Weeb Express of fucking Motel's Hell episodes. Yeah. But they're Japanese comic books. And he's done quite a few. Ichi is based on a comic. But he's able to capture that hyper-violence and that stylistic nature that makes it feel more like it's comic book oriented than any of the fucking Marvel movies or DC movies you get nowadays. If you think about, if you've ever seen... Frank Miller's Robert Rodriguez's Sin City and like just the level of extreme violence that's cartoonish but also like so grim and so stylistic. Yeah, like that's that's the kind of thing that like permeates Japanese like manga, anime, whatever, whatever. And so I agree like he translates that kind of energy and that kind of violence where 
everybody exists in these worlds where it's like to see fountains of blood is so meaningless and just you know whatever and it and it it sucks you in but it is a very interesting take as Mike tends to do on yakuza films which is take the yakuza film and add a element that's not usual to it yeah while he still builds on all those normal tropes he adds to it i mean even like the whole loner outsider thing they literally have a giant Hawaiian Japanese guy who joins Fudo's gang and has literally crushed people with his hands, and it's yeah. incredible. But of course, Mike adds that almost... What's the word I'm looking for? Surreal. Surreal flair. There is a woman who has a penis oh, out yeah. of nowhere. And there is a sex scene with her and another woman. and Is it the dark gun lady? It is the dark gun lady. That's right. I wasn't going to give away who it was. Oh, it's hot. It's, it's real hot. Yeah, and I mean, the dark gun, the dark, like the pussy dart lady, she shoots a dart that goes into a guy's ear and out the other ear. Yeah. Like, it's that kind of shit. And it's, it's this, because the world is so escalated in its ultraviolence and everything else so consistently, like, you... Once you overcome the initial insanity, like you just you're just in for the ride, and I think that is what all of Mike's best films do, especially when they're more action oriented. And this one's what ninety four, ninety six, ninety six. So you see Mike's stylings, like what he's gonna do early on. This is not his first film, but it was I think one of his like first really successful films. If memory serves me right, I know that it was V Cinema, but I think they eventually gave it like a limited theatrical release, and it it holds up. Like especially, you can see like so much of where he was going to go with Ichi the Killer, or Dead or Alive, or any especially of the other. Especially Dead or Alive, because they Dead or Alive too, they used ch- children to yeah. murder Yakuza. Yeah. So, but it's just yeah, it's insane, and none of it's realistic like it, it it has none of the trappings of the yakuza papers or like anything like that where it's supposed to be this like what it's really like in the yakuza world it's like no everybody's insane and hyper violent whatever but it's it's basically it's just like a live action anime like it's just it's not of this world and it's phenomenal yeah it's totally fun like it's you know so yeah but i i wanted to cover something like that mainly because we're not going over, like, the whole genre as a whole from, mm-hmm. you know, beginning to end or even all, like, the, I guess, sort of subgenres that go along with it. Because it's not quite as heavy as, like, sci-fi or horror with subgenres, but there are, they are there. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm not going to tell you the ending of this one just because, it, just watch it. It's, it's a crazy movie. They do have two more that came after it. Oh, yeah. I, although I heard they're I heard, significantly less good. Yes, I heard they get less good... The more, mm. Exponentially less good? Exponentially less good at from two to three. Yeah. So. Yeah, and in, I mean, right. It's like one of those things that works just because all that, that recipe is just right, but it would be so easy to make that a stupid fucking movie. So, And, I mean, Takashi Miike didn't direct them. So. No. Uh, it also has Riki Takeuchi, if memory serving me right on his name yeah and he he's barely in it but he plays like the big bad that's behind his father right because it's yeah so and that's cool 
He's he's always cool. I like him. Yeah, no, whenever he's in stuff, he's like he was in the nineties, then he went like into pro wrestling for a little bit and went back into films and he's one of those guys who has an interesting career. But uh yeah, it's just it's just like a lot of fun. I would definitely say it's not like my favorite Yakuza movie or even style, but it I still like be hard pressed to give it it's like below an eight because there's a hot chick who shoots like pussy darts and then she also bangs a chick with a dick so like there's there's 10 out of 10 transsexual on woman or i guess she's more of a hermaphrodite because she was born with both there's hyper violence there's a giant man crushing smaller japanese men there's small japanese children killing giant men yeah there's grenades. And there's a bunch of actors who show up. Takashi Miike uses like a ton of the same actors over and over and over. One of them is Inichi the Killer, and it was really cool to see him in like a a totally different role. I mean, he was still a Yakuza guy, but instead of getting murdered, he was a badass, so. But yeah, I agree. This movie is great. It's not my favorite, or maybe even my top five favorites, mm. but I felt like it was important to cover something a little bit more ridiculous and a little bit more out there as far as the movies we're going over. Yeah, I think as far as historical significance, we're talking about a movie that like was one of the first that said, here's the new era of the Yakuza film. Yeah. It is nothing like it was before. You know, the future is now, old man, kind of a thing. I and definitely think it helped pave the way for like Yakuza games and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I really struggled with picking... Fucking Jew. I really struggled with picking a second film because I wanted to do something older, but I just couldn't figure out the right one. And most of newer Yakuza films are fresher in my mind. So, I also picked a Takashi Miike film. What? Yeah, that's right, partner. 1999's Dead or Alive. It's a good movie. You spin me right around, baby, right around. Because that's by Dead or Alive. Yeah, but it's irrelevant. It is. and So, <laughs> the film stars Riki Takeuchi, uh, Showa Aikawa, and Renji Ishibashi. The first two are staples of early Takashi Miike films. Uh... Ricky Takeuchi is, I wouldn't say a fine actor, but <laughs> he mean mugs it hard in everything he does. He's the one with the big hair. Which is definitely something that happens a lot in any Yakuza, Yakuza movie, yeah. is just people heartily staring at each other. Yeah, or yelling at one another in exaggerated yelly voices in the classic Japanese fashion. And he does both exceedingly well. And uh, It's one of my favorite things where it's like, so we need to have a meeting with these people. And they're like, okay. Everyone's really calm. Then they have the meeting and they're like, what are you doing, you fucking piece of Fuck shit, asshole? Yeah. yeah, and then Shoaikawa is, he plays a cop and he he does a good job. He, he's got a wife who is sleeping with another person and a daughter who's dying of some unknown or undefined illness, and he just has illness. Yeah, he he's just doing his best. He's she's got classic Japanese child syndrome, which is to be dying during the film. Yeah, <laughs> and the 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 movie is famous, and a big part of why I picked it is, again, if you're into Takashi Miike at all, then you've heard it. You've probably already seen it. If you haven't, you've heard about it because the film's opening ten minute sequence is like insanity. 
It is so good. It's this montage of hyperviolence with no explanation. It it starts off with a woman screaming as she's thrown from a balcony clutching a gigantic bag of cocaine. Like, or speed or whatever. It looks like coke, but it's fucking great. And then she hits the ground and is dead. And then, like, just, like, 15 people get murdered in the first 10 minutes. There's part of it, like, as they're cutting between things, some of which they cut back to, there's a government inspection guy who rails a line of an undefined drug that's literally, like, 30 feet long, and it's on, like, a giant what looks to be tech deck ramp. Like, it's just... It's so awesome. And the first time I ever saw it, I rented it on Netflix back when you could rent, like, actual DVDs, and... You still can. Can you? Yeah. So, I did that, and then I had a big bag of Coke. No way. Yeah, and just was like gave it over to the police yeah no i was just ripping lines while i watched it and was like this is the greatest film ever made and the first 10 minutes are so good that it's difficult for any movie to follow up with that and what i like is that he follows it up with for the most part a pretty normal in a lot of ways yakuza film which is about a cop trying to stop a warring like two warring families outside of the last Ten minutes. minutes. Yeah, five, ten minutes uh, sort of goes completely off the rails into crazy town. In true Mike fashion. Yeah, and and which is, and that was the other part it's famous for. It's like the the first ten minutes and the last five to ten minutes are like famously insane. But basically, uh, Ricky is part of this Chinese-Japanese gang that, you know, they already have that whole outside of normal society thing because they're... uh, Yakuza guys, but then on top of that, they're outside of the regular Yakuza because they're half Chinese, and we all know the Japanese are not fond of the Chinese. What? They don't all love each other and have festivals for each other? Def not. And they, they couldn't have had any kind of, like, wars against each other, No, right? no, no, no. It's it's a history of peaceful coexistence. It's strange why the racism is so strong. Dad, what's Nanking? Yeah, it's, not, it's a delightful town, so <laughs> nobody ever had, on you know, bad sex there. So anyway, um, yeah, so that's like, they they rip off other Yakuza gangs, they're like Yakuza kind of, but they do their own thing, and there's this big Japanese gang who are importing heroin and whatever, and the Chinese guys are trying to muscle in on that, and the dude who plays the head of the main Japanese gang, his name escapes me, but he's in a ton of Takashi Miike films, and he's in a bunch of Yakuza films generally, He's in Outrage, he's in Audition, he's in um, Ichi the Killer, and, like, everything. He He almost always plays a total creep, and in this movie, he's really into scat, and so a girl gets... One of the girls gets sensed to, like, infiltrate the Japanese group and, like, collect information while she's acting as a sex worker, stripper, whatever. And she... I don't even think they find her out because we just rewatched it, right? Like, they don't even yeah. realize who she is, but he just takes a liking to her and then forces her, like, basically shoots her up with a bunch of dope, forces her to do a bunch of enemas, and then drowns her in a kiddie pool filled with her own shit after, like, everybody in the gang rapes her. And you don't see the raping, at least. I like that that sentence started with, takes a liking to her. <laughs> yeah, and... uh But, like, you see him drown her in a pool of her own shit and, like, in this little kiddie pool. And it's just, 
Like, that's what we're dealing with here. And, okay, so maybe that's unusual, even for Yakuza films. That's a little <laughs> on the extreme side. But, like, basically, you know, and this cop is in the middle of it all trying to bring them all down. And his boss is corrupt, and his boss's boss is corrupt. And they're like, you need to be stopping the Yakuza to a point, but we have to coexist with them because they're, like, a necessary evil, or they're just, like, an evil that's here and we have to deal with it and we can't arrest them all. And he's like, fuck that, I'll arrest whoever I want. And, like, you know. And that always goes really well for cops in the Yakuza films. Yeah, so things happen, people get murdered, a bunch more people get murdered. Riki Takeuchi has, like, a younger brother who's all upset that, like, his education in America was paid for by, like, bad man activities. <laughs> and it's like, are you serious? And, uh... Do you have any idea how much college costs here? Yeah, well, in America... Yeah, he sends here. them to America. Oh, yeah, right. And um, Where we live, in America. Right. So, uh, Ricky Takeuchi also has a trench coat and a shotgun, and he like likes to have them both at the same time, and also Who these doesn't? big sunglasses and like a kind of a pompadour. He's so cool in this movie. Like, he just... All he does is mean mug and gun motherfuckers down, and it's... It has its slow moments, and it does take its time to actually, like, give some depth to these characters in a meaningful way, which is pretty crazy considering how insane it all is. But even, like, all the members of Ricky's gang all, like, get their little time to do their thing. The one guy's, like, constantly shooting dope. The chick, before she gets drowned in feces, is, like, got her thing with Ricky, but also whatever. And, like, it's just great. Like, everybody in it's a character. They all have a cool look. I fucking love it so much. And there are a lot of people that allegedly have watched the full thing and shit on the middle. Like, the majority of the movie is not living up to the beginning and the end. But they're they're dead wrong. Like, it's a winner all the way through, in my opinion. And it stays engaging. And it's just one of those, two where, like, especially as the main cop tries harder and harder to pursue Ricky and the other gang, the collateral damage for him grows and grows. Yeah. And the ending... You might want to just skip ahead like two minutes. I'll just quickly describe. The movie ends with this like showdown between the cop and the last <laughs> three remaining members of Ricky's gang, and a rocket launcher gets pulled out. Like like he pulls it <laughs> out, out from, of nowhere. Yeah, like out from behind his back when he clearly had no rocket launcher prior like to a that. Fucking magic trick. Like a car explodes, flies into the air, and then a guy throws a knife into the car as it's flying through the air. And then when the cop like lands in the exploded car, like the knife is in him. Like it's, and then, <laughs> like. The one dude's arm is all fucked up, so he rips off his own arm, and, like, Ricky pulls, like, a ball of energy out of his chest and, like, goes thermonuclear and then throws it at the cop guy who then fires, like, missile, and there's, like, a... Then it just cuts out to this, like, poorly cg Earth that then has, like, a nuclear explosion over <laughs> the island of Japan. It goes G it goes Dragon Ball Z real fucking yeah. quick out of nowhere. Yeah, it's it's fucking bananas. And then it's just over. And it's just like, or, like what? And then they made two more. With the two lead actors being, like, the only consistent part. Uh, I have not seen the other two. I keep wanting we to watch... the second one. No. We didn't? I, no, I've never seen it. I know that the, there's the murderous kids in it and stuff, but I've never seen either of them. Because every time we go to watch it, we're like, let's just watch the first well, one the second, first. The second one's on... Well, yeah, just to let you are. guys know, the first and second one, if you have Amazon Prime, are free on Prime right now. Yeah, and Criterion has a film channel, I think it's called like Moonstruck or Filmstruck, and you can watch that streaming to check out Pale Flower, but 
Yeah, Dead or Alive is on there. Fudo is not online anywhere, as no. far as I know. You have to, but you can get the DVD really cheap, and it's nice. It looks good and everything. One of the things because Takashi Miike did all this V Cinema shit, like he was shooting in oftentimes standard formatting or other like non widescreen or weird formatting. He also does a lot of like shoot to film, do digital editing, and then like put it back on film almost like the way I do my noise tapes where like I can record stuff to a tape then record it back to digital then record it back to a tape right. so to restore a lot of his earlier films is like nigh impossible because they went through all these like weird post uh, film processing sequences that make it hard to like get a clean looking cut so even the newest version of each of the killer which I have which looks really good still also kind of looks like shit sometimes but just nature of the beast so, but yeah, I love Dead or Alive. Um, I bought it like a couple months after I was in New York. At, there used to be a video store. It was originally a famous rental place called Kim's Video. And then they moved and just became like a store to sell movies and also records and stuff like that. And they had this on the shelf. I was with my younger sister. I was drunk at like 10 a.m. And I was like, oh, I have to fucking buy this movie. This movie's so sick. I like showed her the opening 10 minutes. She was like, I do not want to watch the rest of this. So I was like, it's so good. It's so good, bro. What do you mean? It's so good. Yeah, that night that I watched it the first time, the friends I was with in the guy's apartment I was staying at, like they were not doing coke. So they all went to bed. And I just sat there re-watching the intro like over and over and over again while I just like did more and more coke. It was a lot of fun. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Dead or Alive. Big win. Check that out ASAP. Yeah, especially right now, because who knows how long it's going to be on Amazon Prime. If it's not there by the time this gets released, we will put it in the show notes. Yeah. It is, um, it's been re-released by Arrow, so it's got a nice box set version and stuff now. It's a pretty reasonable price to get all three. How much is it? I don't know. Oh. So... Yeah, uh, and I would also say that it's it's a good one to watch before you watch, like, Fudo, because Fudo's a lot rougher and a lot sillier in a lot of ways, even though Dead or Alive can be pretty silly. But well, the ending, I think, is the silliest part of the whole yeah, fucking movie. Yeah, sure, but a lot of the movie's, like, brutal and yeah. way more, like, sadistic, and Fudo, like, stays pretty fun even when it's extremely graphic, and, I mean, I watch them in reverse order, so is it, it based made on sense something? to me. Dead or Alive? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so, but it could be. But, I mean, he just, you know... He did a lot of original stuff beyond just the manga adaptations. I know. It's just, it just surprised me that I didn't know there was so much stuff that he did that was manga adaptations. Or video game adaptations. Or anime adaptations. True. So, the next movie we're going to discuss... Now, I've seen it as both Outrage and The Outrage, mm. which is a 2010 release by none other than Takeshi Kitano, my sweet baby boy. A.K.A. B. Takeshi. Yeah. Who, uh, to preface this a little bit, I've seen so many movies that this guy is in. None of his comedy stuff or anything like that, but if you don't know, and you can go on YouTube and watch John Tron play it, he had a fucking Famicom video game. Oh, yeah. Which is just the... Takeshi's Challenge? Yeah. Which is the most ridiculous thing, but also makes so much sense knowing about his filmography. Yeah. Well, and also, like, not just his filmography, but his whole, like, career tra tra trajectory. Like, he famously, 
again, for people who know him from Battle Royale, like he's got this one eye that doesn't really move. Like his whole side of half his face is paralyzed because he was in a motorcycle accident that was essentially a suicide attempt. And that happened like two thirds of the way into his career. That was mid nineties. And before that he had already had in like the eighties, I don't even know if it goes as far back as the seventies, but minimally since the eighties, he was like a comedic icon and, and a game show host and a talk show host. And like, he had like every single career before 1989 when he decided I'm going to do violent cop and make my directorial debut, making an ultra nihilistic crime film. He did a interview where he was also being interviewed with, the leader of Om Shinrikyo, which is insanity, but it's just one of those serendipitous things that's like, oh god, I just love so much that this man's done. I'm not huge on American mafia movies. Sure. Not my thing. Like the Godfather trilogy, mostly the first one, don't really care for two and three as much, but like Goodfellas, like all that stuff, it's not really my thing. Yeah doesn't really do it for me but these were like my godfather movies that we we watched all three of them within a couple weeks yeah like a month yeah and me personally the first one is my favorite so it was written and directed by B. Takeshi it was starring him so one of the reasons that this is my favorite one is because it feels more realistic than the others, only because there isn't a single plot point. So the second one is more about revenge, and the third one is just kind of to tie everything up, it feels like. Mm -hmm. This one just felt like Yakuza going about being Yakuza. Sure. So it starts out with the Sano gang, who... Takeshi plays Otomo, who's the lieutenant for the gang? No, he's basically... So there's the main, like, full family, the Sano family, right? Yeah. And then uh, there's, like, a, a smaller family within that family, and then he's... And he's connected with that smaller family, but he's, like, a relatively little fish in a very large... Like, they are supposed to represent the major Yakuza f family in all of Japan, whose name escapes me, but, like, makes up half the Yakuza in the whole country. It seems to me like they're supposed to be that. Yeah. And, uh... He has his own underlings, but he's not, like, a higher-up in any way. Yeah, no, he's not a major player in the, the larger family's overall structure, but he's the head of his own personal family. Right. That flies under the that Sano family gang. Banner. So... One of their guys gets bamboozled, let's say, for lack of a better term, at a hostess club by other people who think they're high-ranking Yakuza. Well, no, to back it, I mean, yes, but I, just to give a little context. So the film starts with, like, the they're having a family head meeting. So, like, every head of every family within the larger family is all there. And at that meeting, Takashi Kitano's, uh, like, Sworn Blood Brother is told by the whole boss of everything that he's got ties to a guy that's not part of the family, that's an issue for them, and he needs to basically cut those ties. But he's a sworn brother to that guy, even though he's outside of the family, and so he feels like 
he can't publicly betray that brother. Right. And you sort of also find out, because he's, like, hugely ripping him off and all the rest, so he doesn't want to do that anyways. So he asks Takeshi Kitano for help and asks him to basically start the trouble so that he looks like he's cutting ties but doesn't have to do it directly. And they shit on the leader of this opposite gang the whole movie. Oh, it's so brutal. It's so brutal. It's almost comedic, but not quite. Yeah, and the the head of that family is the same guy who plays the head of the Japanese Yakuza family in Dead or Alive, who drowns the girl in feces, who plays the uh, pedophile ballet teacher in Audition, who is in, um, like, I don't know, so many other Takeshi Kitano films, or I mean, uh, Takashi Miike films, and then he's in, uh, he's in Vital, he's in, no, no, that's Jun Kuriyama, um, he's in a bunch of other shit, though, he's like a big, he's a famous Japanese actor, and he's in a shitload of Yakuza films. So, they end up pretty much snatching everything from this one other boss, they end up opening up, they, let me start over. They snatch everything from this boss, essentially, over the course of the movie. Yeah. They find out that he's in contact with a South African diplomat? He's not South African. He's from a fictional country. A fictional country diplomat. Yeah. Who, you know... From Africa. From Africa. That has, you know, his own embassy and everything... Now, depending, I feel like depending on which Yakuza movie you watch, they're either okay with drugs or very not okay with drugs. Most of them, they're not. So part of, like, this sort of whole chivalry code, whatever, the Yakuza have always made, or have for a long time been involved in some way or another with methamphetamine mostly, uh, trading, and then to a lesser extent heroin. But depending on the years and whatever, the a lot of the heroin stuff goes through, like, other organized crime from different other parts of Asia because there's not cultivation of poppies in Japan. But they mostly control the Japanese amphetamine trade and they do that by running it through Hawaii into the United States and also within the country itself. And most of the time in most movies, I don't know how it really plays out in real life, there's a big stigma against making your earnings from that. But in basically all of the Yakuza movies we've watched where that's a plot point, it's always like, Everybody's against it except for they still want their cut. Yeah, you know it's the classic shit. Like you know, ah, oh, yeah, it's bad. Blah, blah, blah. But like, also give us your money from it. So, so they take over this diplomat. They're like, you're gonna start a fucking casino. You're not dealing with drugs anymore with that other guy, and he's real mad about it. So they fake a murder, which is hilarious. And then chick who is supposed to be dead is the main woman from audition. Yeah. And then she shows up later at the casino. And yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. So, it, it just it just spawns... They spend so much time on each character that even the one guy who's quiet for the first half of the movie ends up being a big player and running the casino the second half of the movie. And he really comes into his own. And I ended up loving him even though he's like a snaky piece of shit. Oh, yeah. It's funny because he definitely divides a lot of people. Um... I've read a lot of reviews where they don't like like when he speaks English and other stuff like that, and I'm like, that's just how Japanese people speak English. Yeah, so I like, loved it. Yeah, no, I thought he was super great, and I mean, the the whole movie is like, 
it's not a little bit of Yakuza politics, but then mostly like like so Takashi Miike is you see some Yakuza politics, but we're mostly gonna focus on like hyper violence yeah. and, and bullshit and the drama and whatever. Or Pale Flower, which is almost no Yakuza politics and is really just about like this one guy not in relation to that. Like the Yakuza is just partially a trapping. Whereas this movie is like entirely about Yakuza politics and like the backstabbing and all that. Like, I mean, as far as our criteria goes, loyalty versus betrayal, like that's the whole film. Is yeah. It's all about that and the family like structure of the Yakuza. Takeshi's boss in it is betraying the rest of them and then ends up betraying him and and the whole and the head boss of the whole family is, is pitting, betraying everybody yeah yeah he's constantly pitting all of the lower bosses against like all of the the subfamilies against one another because essentially as as subfamilies get powerful like they pose a threat to the main boss and he starts off in the beginning of the movie saying like to his his lieutenant I'm concerned that they may try to, like, bump me in the future. Like, we need to kind of put them in their place. And so he, like, is goes to one and says, like, you know, I'll back you. I think you should take over all this territory. And then he goes to the other one and is like, if you kill him, I'll back you. And, blah, blah. and so they it's all just, think... like, every 20 minutes he's like, hey, come here, come here, listen. And the dude... When I retire, it's going to be you. And the you guy, know? the guy looks like Kim Jong Il. He wears a tracksuit like the whole time. This a white, white fucking yeah, tracksuit. a white tracksuit, and has all these like tracksuited Japanese boys that are th- just like hanging around his house that are his bodyguards. It's so, it's so good. It's it's the movie is just it really blew me away. But anyway, so <clears throat> there's constant betrayal going on, except. For Takeshi and his boys, yeah, who are like fucking just in it Rock to win solid, it, like yeah. they're they, to the point where you feel his pain when his character Otomo gets betrayed by everybody else and they start going after him. Yeah, and they banish him. They banish him and they kill fucking everybody, every one of his underlings, and you feel so bad about it. Yeah, like usually a lot of Yakuza movies somebody gets shot I'm like <laughs> fucking jabroni yeah but this I was like uh, what's the name I I've only seen the movie once I'm I'm not gonna try to remember a bunch of Japanese names from movies yeah. in case once, you but... can't didn't guess from this you know third movie dissection at this point like we're not gonna get into the names other than the actors because like if you're in hot Japanese you can't remember any of this shit and it doesn't matter so, no I'll yeah. watch two seasons of an anime before I remember somebody's yeah. name Fist of the South Star? <laughs> so, they open up this casino, and the boss, Dakeshi's boss, starts gambling too much, and all the higher-ups is like, yo, he's not, he's losing us money, you need fucking... Well, it's his sworn brother, it's not his boss. No, it's his boss. It's the guy who gave him the command to go after Yeah, but it wasn't brother. a command, though, it was a request. Either like, way, as sworn, they're sworn brothers, but they're both under the main boss. I mean, he has more power, so he's got more sway. But in my opinion, he's not Takeshi Kitano's boss. He's just like a brother with slightly more power who asks too much of a tone. Uh, no, whatever. I thought he was one of the sitting chairmen. Even if he is, he's still not really like a boss. Like, I mean, I guess he's he's like middle management, but so is well. Anyways. I think we need to watch it again to re-examine that dynamic. I agree. But anyway, 
this becomes a problem, this creates more tension, everybody starts fucking killing each other, Takeshi gets blamed for everything, they're like, we need to rub him out. Yeah. And then, towards the end of the film, they're all being killed, Takeshi has no other choice but essentially to go to prison for all this, and there's even more corruption because this cop is working all of the Yakuza the whole Yeah, get, just getting paid hand over fist by, like, every different member of every family, like, you know. But at the same time, he has a, a long-standing relationship with B. Takeshi, so he does kind of help him out be, above and beyond what he does for the others. Yeah, even though he beats the shit out of him in a fucking... Yeah, but <laughs> B. Takeshi does beat the shit out of him first, so... Yeah. So... And, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. He convinces him towards... Skip ahead a bit if you guys don't want to hear this, but it's really like the whole middle of the movie that really does it for me. He convinces him, like, you don't have any other choice. Either they're going to fucking kill you, or we can put you in prison. Yeah. So he's like, all right, fine. I'll I'll go with you. And gets let out, gets taken away. And the last scene is a double doozy of betrayal. So the one guy who has promised that he was going to get to the higher ranks ends up getting shot because the boss chairman's like, you're going to fucking kill him. And then his bodyguard, it like fucks off. And then the underboss turns around, shoots the chairman, and is all of a sudden wearing a white tracksuit at the very end with the sunglasses and even like a similar hairstyle. Yeah, yeah. His hair is so good in that movie, though. Oh, yeah. Kato. So good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's very much like the classic. I mean, Violent Cop has a similar kind of thing where the cycle just continu- like starts again. And um, the, the thing that... So it was interesting. So I watched this movie the first time with Alexa... Because I thought it was going to be more like bang, bang, shoot, not so much... Talky, talky, drama, drama? No, not so much sadistic violence a la Ichi the Killer. So I thought she'd be more on board. And the second movie has tons of gun violence. The first movie has, like, tons of, like, hateful, like, bodily harm maiming and shit. And gets his face slashed with a razor blade because he's not cutting off his finger. Yeah, and, like, the first 15 minutes of the movie, and, like, after he tries to cut off his finger with a box cutter... And then there's a part with, like, I don't want to spoil too much, but let's just say that orifices and chopsticks meet, and the worst part is this fucking dentist-related shit that happens to the the dude who gets shit on all the time. It is, even though you don't see anything, it's so fucking rough. And then there's this whole part after where, like, the guy's unable to eat and talk, and they keep offering offering him food while they talk to him while, like, the other dude eats lunch. It's, It's, like, just shade on every level. Um, all that stuff happens and even some of the executions at the end are like holy shit and uh, yeah it's funny because it's another one where given what Takeshi Kitano has done for the Yakuza film genre like it was such in many ways an about face compared to his like existential earlier films because it's just like so nonstop violent it feels like it was even though he influenced uh, Takashi and Mike, like Mike came back and influenced him in some ways. I feel like for the film, but it still has a lot of his hallmarks, especially in the way that it's shot and the way that they shoot people in the film. Like his people, 
motion is not a big part of his films in the sense of they are they are the antithesis of like Jason Bourne or John Wick. There's no shaky cameras. There's no ballet. You see all of it. Yeah, like it, everything is like matted center, like blah blah blah, like just you just dead on shots. And when people shoot at each other, they just stand there until somebody falls. Like it's yeah. like Revolutionary War type shit. And uh, Takeshi, like the fucking Terminator, never flinches, yeah. continuously firing his gun. Yeah, and it's you know there's it, it's it's really good in that way. But yeah, outrage, outrage is it. Don't listen to the critics who bitch about how it's no longer unique. It still is very much its own special flair, very much a Takeshi Kitano film, but it it brings like Yakuza stuff in 2010 with all of its like modern sheen and fancy black cars and all this shit and then just like turns it into this playground of like I mean talk about heroic bloodshed versus nihilistic violence yeah. like Otomo represents like the old vestige of actually honorable Yakuza and when he's constantly betrayed he just kills his way back to like where it needs to be like you know to restore balance but on the whole the whole film is like for all of the people that die and there are many it amounts to nothing and that's the kind of shit that I dig cause like that's how I perceive things to be so you know they have a very soft ending for him in the first one. Mm -hmm. I definitely recommend... They're, all three are good. The first two are much better than the third. And the third's not even bad, but it's yeah. just... Part of it was we watched it, we were both so tired, we were like falling... I was. I fell asleep I like away for 30 minutes. I thought it was awesome, but it's definitely not as good as the first two. Yeah. But there were so... It, Especially with the second one, and I can't remember the other character's name, but the guy whose face he cut up, mm -hmm. and them getting back together, and how the cop was working everybody, and then the ending to that, which I'm not yeah. even going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, the second film is is in some ways like the best of them all because it it gives you a lot. Like there's so much good shit, like in so many different levels happening. Where the first one's pretty straightforward, and the third one's like just a we want to wrap it up and give you the ending you deserve. For me, I compare it to. Almost, and strange as it's going to sound, the Star Wars trilogy. Now, I know Empire Strikes Back is the best one. Yeah. Right? But New Hope will always be my favorite because it captured me. That was the thing that brought me into the series, that yeah. made me love it. So, first Outrage and Beyond Outrage, or Outrage Beyond Beyond Outrage, and then Outrage Coda are all very, very good. And I recommend you go watch all of them. I will probably end up owning the trilogy on Blu-ray sometime in the future. Yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. My birthday's in December. My dick is right here. I mean, we can deal with that after we finish recording. So that takes us to our last film of the episode, which, I mean, we've gooshed hard already. Um, but for me, I watched this the first time a few months ago, and immediately it was like, this is the greatest film I've watched all year. But I thought maybe I was just like really in the mood for it, and so my opinion of the film wouldn't hold up on a second viewing. I liked it as much, if not better, the second time. I love that you're not even ready. Like you don't like new th viewing new things, uh -huh. and then you hate even more the idea of viewing something you like a second time. Well, no, it's not that. It's just like there are some movies. I I generally go into stuff. I try to go into things, especially if I'm picking it, assuming I'm gonna like it. And then 
I have little objectivity. As our ratings, our oral ratings go, as far as like most of the movies we watch for this show, they're always pretty high. And it's because like I'm in it to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like I can overlook a lot of the shit. But like when we just rewatched King of the Monsters, I still like I was given that like that was a solid five coming out of the theaters. Watching it at home with a little bit more time to think about it and a little less like physical impact from like brutally loud sound. Got to drop it down half a star because it's like it's super amazing, but it's also maybe not the greatest film ever made because it's not. But um, I would say it was the greatest film ever made. Yeah, I am not saying that you said that, but no, I'm just yeah. What? No. Okay. I'm just not saying that. I, I didn't ask you to. It's good. Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> this is the movie that is the greatest movie ever made. No, 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 no. But like. I loved Violent Cop when we watched it back on our crime scene cleanup technician episode, but you should check out. It's a hot one. Uh, you know, we reviewed it. We gooshed about it then. But we're, anyways, we're talking about Takeshi Kitano's 1993 premiere vehicle for uh, excellence, uh, the film Sonatine, which was released, I think, for Western audiences after Hanabi, which is from 1997, and people thought it came out after, but it actually comes out before haven't seen Hanabi yet, but these are the two that are considered we'll get his there. best. Maybe this week. Yeah, and it is the basic premises in classic, like his film fashion, Yakuza film fashion. He's um, the head of a family that's part of a larger family. He, he gets told to do something that's real shady. Yeah, like he's obviously about to be dicked over by his main bosses, and there's not really much he can do about it because he's an honorable Yakuza guy, and he follows the code even when he knows he's about to get deuced on. And he goes down to Okinawa to oversee uh, a peace be- treaty between a related family in Okinawa and another family, and it becomes very clear that like they don't want... like. No one has asked him to be there, and his bosses have sent him there. And then people start dying at an alarmingly fast rate, and he fucks off to, like, the beach with a couple of his remaining dudes after everybody else gets murdered. And, has, for the most part, has the greatest summer ever. Yeah, and awaits to find out what he's supposed to do from his boss, and then, uh, you know, finally learns the extent of which he's being dicked and doesn't take it lying down. Is that a fair synopsis? Yes. So, I don't, like, this is one where it's, this does kind of, like, you should see it before you, like, I'm not going to go into too much details beyond that. Like, that's basically how they describe it in the Amazon blurb and whatever. And it was on Amazon. We just had to rent it on YouTube, but I rented it on Amazon four months ago. So, I don't know what the deal is with all that. You can only buy it right now as a second disc bonus to... Uh, Katana's Zadoichi film that he had put out. It's only on DVD right now if you want it, if you're in the United States. But, um, anyways, it, so Joe Hisashi, who does the scoring for all of Miyazaki's films, like the famous animated film director, is the one who did the score for this. It is, uh, a lot different than most. Yakuza action, you know, like Chu Ishikawa was tapped a bunch of times by Takashi Miike to do like scores for his films and all sorts of other like really cool video game or metal influenced composers, whatever. This is not that. This is this like gorgeous new age piano oriented, like very floaty, like nice. 
and it works with the mostly gorgeous visuals of Okinawa in the summer. Like, it's just like... It also has this, like, really sinister, like, undertone to it. Yeah, a little bit. And, uh, you know, you described it as being giallo reminiscent, which yeah. I could definitely say, like, has, like, a... Maybe, like, a less disco tenebrae element. And, um... I mean, the film is just... It's... When it's a Yakuza film, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a violent Yakuza film. But it's... So, uh, let me just mention a couple things. The first one is the way that the film is shot, almost every scene, the main character or the main... The, the focus of the scene is dead centered. Like, they, they change the the shot, and then it's like, whatever it is, whoever it's going to be, they're just dead centered. Like, it just starts that way, and it pulls out, or it zooms in, or whatever... But, like, you never are getting abstract angles or weird motions or anything like that. Like, it's just all head-on. And it's super matter-of-fact. And the whole way the film is is like that. Like, when people get shot in the head, nobody even reacts. And part of it might be a reflection of how desensitized everybody is, like, living this lifestyle or whatever. There's a lot you can read into it, and there's a lot the critics have tried to pour into this film. But if you just take it on its face, it's, it's just like whether it's shooting somebody in the head or laughing after you like pull a funny prank <laughs> or whatever like it, it all just occurs with the same level of fanfare which is none and <laughs> in combination with like the subject matter itself and the the overall tone and especially like the last 20 minutes of it it's just like it's like Hichiku which we've discussed on the show a few times in the past which a few is like, times yeah, brutally ultraviolent nihilism. Like, it's that with just, like, a really nice score by Joe Hisashi and, like, gorgeous beach visuals. Like, it's... Yeah. You know, it's all of these incongruous elements coming together to create a film that is... You know, it's a really fantastic film. I don't want to call it an art film, but it basically kind of is in some ways. It certainly isn't... There's nothing normal about it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I just... It's very, like, the first half of it is very much that older, just hyper-violent Japanese Yakuza stuff. Not a lot of stuff about, like, politics or anything within the organization. It's just be like, go there, do this. And then all of a sudden, they're literally having the great greatest summer ever. Somebody falls in love. They play with some fireworks. They play pranks. They play Russian roulette. They play Russian roulette. They do uh, sumo yeah. stuff. I want to make one of those. Yeah, it's 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 like, and the way that's presented is so perfect. Like at least to me, I can understand how some people could watch this and be like, "This is just goofy, silly. This is like Wes Anderson doing a Yakuza film. Like, what the fuck am I watching? It's too cloying and and cute." But well, it's adding humanity to the characters. Yeah. I, it is, and it's just, it's sort of, you know, creating depth by putting them out of their element, mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see the way that basically all these different characters deal with being stuck, trying to hide out, and not, like, lose their cool while they're super concerned about, like, are they going to get murdered or not? Well, so. that's the thing. Takeshi's character, before all this goes down, is talking about, he's like, you know, I was thinking about retiring, and he kind of got that for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he gets to play at it, and... It's basically, like, the first third is, like you said, Yakuza film. The second third, almost, like, more than a third is 
beach party and the last bit is what you would expect and yeah i i don't know like for me it's like a six out of five like i I really really dig the whole thing of the charts well and it was just like part of why i wasn't sure i'd like it again is like how am i going to feel about the whole beach party and like it was just it was like a pleasure to watch i just really i like it i i think it's it's shocking like i don't know to me like to it, yeah, I just big fan. I give it a five out of five. I don't know if there's really any movie I give a six out of five, but yeah, maybe. But this is definitely a solid five out of five. Would watch it again and again and again and again. Yeah. So yeah, so I think you know, hopefully, our breakdown of these films kind of gives some kind of insight into what Yakuza films can be about, and. There are different types of flavors, like, you know, Pale Flyer is definitely the more film noir, spooky, mystery, sexy version, and Fudo's, like, the comic book version, and Dead or Alive is, like, the comic book version meets a clockwork orange, like, it's a lot more... Meets, I just snort a whole bunch of meth mix with mescaline. Yeah, it's, that, it's, it's a fine film, and then... And then Sonatine is... Well, wait, what we do after outrage. that? Oh, Outrage, yeah. Outrage is like, you know, this ain't your granddad's Yakuza film. And then Sonatine's just like... Uh, this is your granddad's Yakuza film. No. no. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, it's like the, you know, it's sort of the... It's the film festival Yakuza film. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there's a lot of different stuff out there. Again, like a lot of these movies are experiencing a new bump in popularity if you're into the video game series at all like you may not care or you may be just waiting to become a rabid yakuza film uh you know watcher but a lot of this stuff is pretty available happily so definitely recommend checking it out and um you know we're gonna we're gonna delve into this stuff more in the future. I think, like I said, two parter on Takashi and Mike. Definitely do an episode on Taro Ishii, and we'll probably wind up with some more Yakuza films as our film reviews in future episodes. So this is not the last you've heard on this subject by a long shot. Hell no, it's not. Oh, and the last thing I just want to say real quick about Sonatine. There's this whole weird flange effect on most of the sound in the film that like kind of makes everything seem like it's underwater. Or it was like. Th- recorded in a tunnel yeah it's really cool and weird and just like so so unnecessary it's meant to be that way yeah it's 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 like oh cool so yeah we uh we really had a blast doing this i certainly did at least like it's not even doesn't even feel like research or work i feel like all we've been watching for the last four months has been yakuza films yeah a lot of them a lot of them so yeah check us out on instagram check us out on facebook Check us out on Gmail, Hotel Podcast on all three. Uh, rate and review on iTunes or drop us a comment on SoundCloud. Click that follow button. Click that subscribe. Send us dick pics. We'll send you dick pics. Yes, and if you do email us, we will get back to you. It might not be prompt too, but we are nice enough that we care about the few people that listen to us that we will write you back. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much, and later, nerds. Later, nerds.